Hey guys, I'm here. Just wanted to let you know that my novel Dionysus in Wisconsin is now available for pre-order on the Kindle. I'll put an Amazon link in the show notes. If you like urban fantasy or historical romance set in the late 60s, you should go order it. It's going to be awesome. If you prefer paperback or you want to get it from somewhere other than Amazon, add it on Goodreads and stay tuned. Also, I'd like to warn you that the following episode is on obscenity. I don't think we actually use all that much bad language, but we do refer to anatomy by its proper Latin terms. We talk about banned books a lot and probably some other stuff that's going to be offensive if you try hard. So, caveat audiat, I believe is how we would say it. Let the listener beware. Enjoy the episode and keep it medieval. Veni, veni, venias, and welcome to our podcast. Good evening, and welcome to Ask Medievalist. I'm M, the Ask portion of our program, and joining me tonight, as always, is Dr. Jesse Noose. Hello! So this is the second part of our uh, series on obscenity and vulgarity, and tonight, drumroll please, we are talking about butts. Yay! Everybody's favorite. <laughs> yes! Last time we talked about more the front part of genitalia, and now we are talking about the behind. Yes. I will tell you, recently, <laughs> um, I think I've talked before about how I make quilts. I made a quilt for my son, who is four years old, and it had some adorable little animal prints on the fabrics in it, and I brought him the quilt, and we were looking at it together. And he looks at one of these animal prints and he points at it. He goes, cat butts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, the important part really of yes. any animal print. Yeah, I was like, but, yeah. well, the head is on the there too. And he's like, cat butts. <laughs> yep. So. Um, yep, absolutely. Always, always a fun time. Yes. I mean, my dog is into the butt scratches. Mm-hmm. As many dogs are. Many dogs are. Um, but she walks through your legs and then just stops when she's like halfway through and waits for you to scratch her butt. Yep. This is a dog who knows um, what she wants. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, definitely. I mean, you know, I don't think the Middle Ages exactly had the modern equivalent of everybody poops. Um, but they were certainly aware of the fact and would have agreed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, on some level, right, scatological humor, you never really fully grow out of it, which is why so many movies, we can think of many comedies where pooping happens. <laughs> um, I mean, pooping happens somewhere where it shouldn't. Right. Usually it's the point. Yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, just a type of humor that is the most sort of basic type of humor. Um, one might say lowest common denominator, but that's not really fair, right? Because mm -hmm. it's just such a universal type of humor. <laughs> um, the whoopee cushion, for example, right? So it's just this very, very, very basic type of humor. It has been around probably as long as people, basically, mm -hmm. right? Um, which would mean at least, like, what, 250, 300,000 years. Um, 
you know, maybe even before mm-hmm. Homo sapiens. But anyway, certainly as long as. Um, so <laughs> uh, we definitely talked a lot last time about Bakhtin. Obviously, this is really his territory, oozing, leaking. Um, it's also worth pointing out the concept of disgust is, that's not that we discussed something, that's D-I-S-G-U-S-T, mm-hmm. right? So disgust. Um, this is something that there is a lot of debate about. So the same way we, last time we sort of talked about um, a lot of the genitalia imagery, it shows up in places that we might consider sort of sacred or holy, right? Pilgrim badges. Mm-hmm. You know, now pilgrimage is also kind of like spring break in some instances. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's not necessarily automatically holy or sacred. Um, but as we're going to see, I mean, these things certainly show up in churches in the marginalia of, you know, sacred texts or at least religious texts. And so this question of, like, do we view obscenity the same way, which is a debate, or do we see things as obscene in the same way the Middle Ages saw things as obscene? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they saw things as obscene that we no longer think are obscene and things that we think are obscene they didn't think were obscene. The same thing is true of disgust, mm-hmm. which of course is related to obscenity. Obscenity doesn't have to be disgusting necessarily because there's like vulgarity and swearing and blasphemy, but it certainly can be when it comes to, like scatological humor <laughs> um, or just scatological anything. So... Um, is it disgusting? Was it supposed to be seen as disgusting? Did they have the same ideas of disgust that we have? Um, this is also actually kind of an interesting debate. So this is probably where we'll close when we talk more about the literary appearances of some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. But before we get there, we will talk some more about, you know, art and such, architecture specifically. Um, architecture. Yes. Well, because this is this is the thing, right? So cathedrals. Cathedrals are where you get all the weird architecture. Okay. Um, and this is a really famous thing. You can find websites, actually, online for pretty much anything that you are interested in. <laughs> yes. People have compiled a website that's like, here's where, here's all the cathedrals where we know these things are. Right? So some of them are more sort of traditional, like... The, the green man, mm-hmm. right? Or the wild man. Yes. Um, so, you know, there are websites that are like, here are all the places where we know the wild man appears in cathedrals. Okay. Because right? he definitely did show up in Christian cathedrals, mm-hmm. right? So, like, here are all the places we know he shows up. Why do we think he shows up? You know, et cetera. Um, okay. So those, those are more maybe self-evident. Um, sometimes there are you know, Bible scenes or religious stories that are a little more unusual or apocryphal, and they'll show up only in certain places. And people will be like, ooh, these few places have this story. Mm-hmm. Um, York Minster <laughs> is actually a great example of that. One of their windows has a monkey burial scene. So it's a procession of monkeys. Okay. Who are a huge part of marginalia in texts, um, in cathedrals, in windows, monkeys are one of the animals that show up consistently in marginalia. Hmm. There are, of course, right, they're satiric for people, right? Of course. <laughs> um, I mean, we still think of monkeys that way, mm-hmm. right? We think of mon- monkeys as a kind of, like, human satire. 
that isn't fair to them, obviously, but this is how they appear in our art and literature and so on, generally. Yeah. Um, so there's this monkey burial, and it's this procession of monkeys, um, and they're carrying, you know, a funeral beer, right? So mm-hmm. this... And there's another monkey that's, like, hanging off the beer. Like, it's hanging on to the, you know, pallet <laughs> and hanging off of it. Mm-hmm. And this is a legend known as kind of the Fergus legend um, that actually appeared in the York Cycle plays for a while. Mm. Um, and ultimately wasn't done after a while because they had a hard time doing it. It's a whole really interesting thing um, that we only know about because there's this description because the group that was supposed to keep doing it didn't want to do it anymore. And they were mad and they're like, every time we do it, people laugh or did they like, it's hard to tell, but apparently it sort of caused rowdy interactions and it's not necessarily clear why, but York really liked this story. Like the, and they the depicted, area, the city of York or the, yes, the city of York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Specifically. Um, and they, it's actually in another window sort of, uh, with humans, mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's this monkey version, hmm. which is interesting because it's a sort of satiric version of this story. That's already a little bit satiric. Or at least interesting. Um, it's this guy, he tries, it's the burial of the Virgin Mary. And this guy tries to interrupt it and like throw her body off the beer, you know. Hmm. I mean, her body's in a coffin or whatever, presumably, but you know, tries to toss her off by like shaking it and get, he gets stuck to it. And either he just gets stuck to it and then eventually when he prays for forgiveness, you know, he's released or he, they pull him off and his hands come off. Ah. And so then when he prays okay. for forgiveness, they're, re- they're reattached. Okay. That's um, t- which would have been harder, but not impossible to do on stage, because the Middle sure. Ages did have special effects like that, as certainly did Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Um, okay, so things like this show up in cathedrals. And like I said, there's so, there's so many things that show up. It's, I can't even, you know. Yeah. There are just websites and websites devoted to stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, where are the monkey windows? Where are the these windows? Where do whatever show up? Okay, so <laughs> this feels like if there was a stained glass win- window of an onion here in Madison, yes, like commemorating the fact that the onion was founded here or something like that. Absolutely. I mean, there kind of should be. Actually, Are you're we right. sure there isn't. <laughs> um, I mean, <laughs> not to mind. I yes. mean, yeah, I'm in a petition to put one in at the Overture Center now. Actually, yes, I feel like that is a worthy thing. Yeah. That would be... Medieval England would 100% have been... Yeah. Yeah. Are you kidding? Yes. I mean, who doesn't want that commemorated? Artistically, for sure. Right. Um, And to be fair, onions do show up in stuff, by the way. That's true. Onions, turnips. Yeah. The Middle Ages, of course. These are the vegetables that they were fond of. Um, But yeah, so... So windows, then obviously, so glass, of course. Medieval glass is Mm -hmm. super famous in their websites. Um... Then also known, of course, are gargoyles, right? Or grotesques. Yep. yep. Which, of course, are the monsters around the outside. It's where we get things like, you know, of much, much later <laughs> in the modern period, uh, we will get Hugo's hunchback of Notre Dame, mm-hmm. which isn't what he called it, but it's what we call it. Um, and, of course, you know, our title character there is kind of right a gargoyle come to life he lives mm-hmm. in the cathedral with the gargoyles um so 
right? They're they're very famous, of course. Um, lesser known to people who aren't medievalists. I mean, you you go to a cathedral, you see them, but you might not think about it as much. Inside, as well as outside, there's so many other things that are decorated. Yes. Right? So, you know, buttresses and just all the stuff. Anywhere there's, like, empty space, you could decorate Mm -hmm. something. Basically. Doors. (laughs) There'll be, like, people parading around the facades. Yes. Like, sometimes I've visited... um, well, I visited a couple of, like, Notre Dame and the Cathedral in Chartres, mm-hmm. and you'll overhear no. um, tour guides pointing things out to people, and they'll be like, well, this one is, yeah. like, zodiac signs. It's like, here's yep. a guy carrying water, and here's, I don't know, a ram um, or a crab. Yep. I forget what zodiac signs. But Those are both. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but then, like, there's just so much. They'll, like, point out this fractional little part right that's like right by where they're standing Mm -hmm. and it's like pulling one page out of an encyclopedia it feels like yes exactly yeah yeah cathedrals obviously cathedrals are the most but really any sort of old church you paid to decorate it as much as possible Mm -hmm. right so yes any wood available wood is carved any available stone is carved right um and they all have different names depending on sort of where they are i mean obviously what part of the church they're in that that has different names but also um you know what their ostensible purpose is <laughs> in the architecture right um so for example sort of brackets um that would hold up things hold up other things right um you might carve like stone brackets that are then they might help hold up windows or you know other parts of the wall or things like this yeah um they have different names depending on exactly what they are um they're corbels and consoles um but these get carved all over the place Right. Um, in the ceilings. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the problem, of course. Like, usually you can't necessarily see what's in the ceilings, but ceilings frequently have just amazing things carved in them. Um, and we're used to the idea of, like, I'm not used to the idea of Michelangelo painting on the ceiling is kind yeah. of unusual, but ceilings of chapels, which are much smaller than a cathedral, usually could easily have things painted on it. Mm-hmm. But we might forget that all the architecture up there, right, holding up the ceiling, the arches and stuff, that they're going to be things yes. carved everywhere as well, right? So we're just going to pick out a few things, but we'll also post up some websites where you can see, you know, but again, there's infinite stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're going to talk about a few. Um, and specifically, uh, a shout out to Michael Camille, who we've mentioned before. Um, in this case... Oh, well, we should mention Image on the Edge, the margins of medieval art, which is mm-hmm. has a lot of this stuff. Okay. But in this case, also a specific essay in the Medieval Obscenities, um, edited by Nicola MacDonald. Um, and that's Dr. Witkowski's anus. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> French doctors, German homosexuals, and the obscene in medieval church art. Okay, so this is an essay that's really more about the modern reception of some of these things. Okay. Right? Um, and it's worth pointing out that, of course, modern reception, and by modern, not sometimes I do mean modern, modern, mm-hmm. you know, 17, 18, 1900s, um, but sometime also even later in the Middle Ages or in the early modern period, tastes would change and things can start to be like rubbed away a little bit. Sure. You know, 
um, erased, <laughs> censured. I mean, we um, are not using the same memes that were popular in 2012. So the I idea don't. that 150 <laughs> years later, somebody might say this part of the yes. cathedral needs to be changed is. Yes. Um, but luckily, I mean, a lot of these things have survived. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, in um, Bourges Cathedral, there is a butt. <laughs> um and it's in the it's in the crypt. Okay. So it's a console in the crypt. Um and this butt, it's just the butt and also the butthole it seems like. Um so it's the butt sort of facing us, but you can tell this person is pulling their pants down. Mhm. Um and they have a belt and they're pulling their pants down. So this person's and that's all you see is like halfway up the waist. And then the belt going around right on top of the butt, and then the butt, and then sort of the pants that have been pulled down a little bit around the bottom uh, of the butt. Yes. <laughs> um, and I think that you have a website if you yeah. look at the, the butt one. You can, if you go down a little bit, you see it. Yeah. And this is a sort of plain one. We'll talk about some of the less plain ones later, but this is a plain one. And um, when you yeah, describe is- it, I, it's clear like that that's what we're looking at. I don't know that I would have identified it. Just scrolling through, you know, without reading, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and that might also be one of the reasons why it's still there. It's also kind of a little out of the way. Yeah. (laughs) So um, it didn't get removed, right? Also, um, as a, you know, certain things like a console, I'm not sure what it's holding up necessarily, but um, you might not want to chip it out because it's doing something. It might be necessary. Right, right. So, um, but yeah, so it's a butt, and it's pretty clearly supposed to be a a guy, just because of the clothing, mm-hmm. right? So this is certainly someone wearing men's clothing, at least. Um, yeah, so here it is, right, in, in the crypt in Borges Cathedral, and, um, <laughs> it's, it's sort of funny in some ways, because it's not excessively obscene, exactly, but also, what is it? doing there yeah i mean it's still somebody pulling their pants down yeah (laughs) um why would you carve this in a cathedral crypt right um and there's some genuine sort of questions about this Mm -hmm. right um because again this sort of question of people have come up with sort of easy answers like oh it's warding off evil Right? The same things that we say about gargoyles and stuff, right? Or grotesques, gar- gargoyles. Um, you know, oh, they're warding off evil, or they're there to avert the evil eye, or things like this. Um, and that's probably not really true. Yeah. It's an easy answer that can feel satisfactory. But it seems more like sometimes it honestly might just have been someone had a sense of humor. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, you know, so just decided to, like, pop this in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, Leonardo da Vinci, um, I think the face of Judas in The Last Supper um, is the guy who was kind of in charge of him painting it. Oh. You know? Um, the the monk who was... I don't know if he was actually the monk who was in charge of the okay. whole place, but was overseeing 
<laughs> da Vinci at least, and kept bothering him about it, or Da Vinci felt he kept being bothered wow. about it, and I apparently, um, apparently, I don't know, but apparently his face is the face of Judas. Da Vinci's um, inability to get things done is kind of notorious, but... Yes, yes. Um, there is something um, in uh, the Sistine Chapel, right? Michelangelo painted some people he didn't like into the into hell Yes. In various yes. places. Yeah, but then painted his own face on the skin, yes. right? On Bartholomew's skin, which is a commentary kind of on how he felt, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely, right? So these sort of interesting, you know, it is a kind of sense of humor or a sense of play or a, certainly, um, a, you know, a sort of interest, you know, the sort of thing that we would ascribe to um, – I mean, modern, any modern piece of art, right? Particularly like movies. Um, I should mention we're recording this and most recent Spider-Man just came out. <laughs> yes. Um, super great. Loved it. But then, you know, we went back and see it a, saw it a second time. And one of the things you do is you sort of look for all the Easter eggs, mm -hmm. right? What are all the fun things that they put in for you to catch, right? As a fan or whatever. Yeah. Um, and there's probably some of that here as well right <laughs> you're rewarded for like going down to the crypt and doing whatever it is because like you get to see the butt right um so there's some there are just a variety of sort of funny reasons why it, it could potentially be there so we could then continue on um same cathedral um there's a frieze uh this is exterior of the south side chapel and a frieze of course is a carving that goes around the, the wall, right? Um, and this one, it's got like acanthus leaves um, and then they end at a butt. This butt is very plain, but this time we do have um, balls <laughs> hanging down. Yep. Um, this one, it seems to be just standing there, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem to be bending over. There's any clothing. Just a plain butt. But this time we do have some genitalia. Yeah. Um, and very clearly carved. I mean, sort of like truck nuts, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is funny. So, I mean, again, this is still Boorish Cathedral. Hmm? Clearly done by somebody who was good at carving, like took into account the angle that people would be seeing it from. Yep. You know, this is, it's, mm -hmm. it's a nice, it's well done. Yeah. And the funny thing is, in this case, that pretty clearly... Uh, presumably carved by the same person who carved the gorgeous leaves mm -hmm. next to it, right? Which are beautifully carved. I mean, yeah. they're frilly, you know. Um, they also have this very interesting look in their way. They're kind of wavy, and they're kind of, like, aimed. Crenellated. They kind of lead your eye back to the butt. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, this was so there is something definitely planned, yeah. you know. Yeah. They, yeah, they knew absolutely. what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, again, in, still in Borges Cathedral, right? So, yeah. Did one of the carvers have a sense of humor? Is it is it a sort of commentary, right? That in some ways, um, the sacred and the profane are not as far apart as we like to make them. And that was far more obvious, arguably, in the Middle Ages, where everything, the sacred permeated everything. Mm -hmm. um, so Barbara Newman has this fabulous quote that I'm going to get wrong because I didn't look it up ahead of time. But um, in the book Medieval Crossovers, she talks about the fact that um, in the modern era, 
we consider most things to be secular. And then there are little places like church, synagogue, mosque, right, that are set aside for the sacred. Mm hmm. Right. But they like stay in those spaces. And generally speaking, with a few exceptions, like Christmas, you don't get the sacred outside of those spaces. Right. We consider everything else to be secular. Um, certainly like, you know, in the, the U.S. Yeah. For example. Um, whereas in the Middle Ages, it's really the reverse. Everything is sacred. I mean, the world is sacred. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the creation of God. So everything is sacred. And the concept of secular isn't necessarily exactly a thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Which is to say it exists maybe in places where the sacred doesn't, but where exactly does the sacred not exist in the Middle Ages? Right. Right? That That's a very different sensibility from ours. Um, so in some ways also these butts in the cathedral are a kind of reminder that, you know, you poop in God's presence. Mm-hmm. God sees everything. You shouldn't think that God isn't seeing everything. God sees everything. Okay. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so... An opticon. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. Right? But, I mean, but maybe, like, that's, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Shame, this is another question, and we'll come up to this again at the end with the literary stuff. Um, shame is another huge part of this, of course, along with disgust and everything else. Um, and was the concept of shame the same? Many, many people have argued that it isn't mm-hmm. for a few reasons. One is, of course, especially in the U.S., Protestants. Sorry, Protestants. (laughs) It's not your fault. But the Puritans were Protestant. And and for everyone. Kinda. Yeah, kinda did. Um, People have been trying to reclaim them in some ways recently, but which is fine. You know, not hashtag not all Puritans. But unfortunately, (laughs) maybe enough Puritans Mm -hmm. were Puritanic. I mean, this is the problem, right? And so um, that we associate shame with all sorts of stuff that maybe the Middle Ages didn't. And in some ways that the Middle Ages couldn't, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, the most frequently pointed out thing is that um, people obviously had sex in the same room as, like, their kids were sleeping because you probably only had one room, Mm -hmm. right? So unless you were wealthy and everyone had their own room, everyone had one room and kids heard their parents having sex. Like, that was a thing. Um, Also, of course, things like pooping. Um, you didn't necessarily have, like, private bathrooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there's actually some famous, you know, we could go all the way back to Rome. Certainly oh, before. Yeah. But, I mean, the, they've unearthed, like, the... Sort of shared yeah, public outhouses, right? Like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, basically, our feelings about what activities should be private are has changed over time. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that putting these butts, again, on a cathedral, that it's a reminder of this sense of the sort of continuum of life and how all these things are connected. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that they don't see the humor. Of course they do. That's part of the point. Mm-hmm. But that it may not be as definitively weird as we see it, <laughs> I guess. Um, weird, sure, fun, yes. Um, but not as definitively weird. Okay, so now we'll start to get into some of the more funny ones. <laughs> All right. Um, this next one, I'm not sure if we have a picture except in this book. So okay. we might have to like take a picture of the book and send it, um, put it up on the website. We can do that. But um, this one is in Leon Cathedral and it's a bottom. It's just a butt. However, this butt, it's clearly a butt. However, the butthole is a mouth. 
just a little round mouth that's open. Where part of the crack is, there's a nose. It's got two eyes by where I guess the, like, back, I don't know, like right above the cheeks are, mm-hmm. you know, like right before your hips. Um, it's got two eyes, and that's got this, like, pair of spectacles on the nose. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, it's in Camille's, you know, there's a picture of it here in Camille's um, essay. And it's figure 2.2, bespectacled bottom. Yes. Um, so this, obviously, this time around, clearly it is funny. Right. This is obviously supposed to be humorous. Not that the other butts weren't, right? But they're a little more neutral. Um, but this butt is clearly funny. Right? It's yeah. a butt with a face. Um, and this is... We're getting into this. This is an entire genre of medieval art of all kinds, right? So not just in sculpture, but marginalia, everything else. Um, and this, I know that we do have some websites that have pictures of um, that are butts with faces. Butts with faces are a huge thing. So the funny thing about this one is that it's a kind of a very serious face, right? Um, it almost looks like a clergy. I mean, you kind of wonder, like, maybe this person was pulling a Da Vinci and putting someone up there he didn't like or yeah. she didn't like who knows because um, this is a kind of serious spectacled face right um but usually butt faces are a little bit weirder um but there are some really famous interesting butt faces um and we could actually go back once again to Bourges cathedral where there's um a devil with a face on his butt yeah Okay, I do um, have a picture of that one. Yes. Yeah. And that butt, butt face. Yes, that butt face. It's great, because it's still an insult. Yeah. And yet, the Middle Ages took it, <laughs> took it and ran with it. Extremely literally. Right? Yes. Yes. Less often do you see actual butt faces today. But in, but in, in the Middle Ages, you definitely, they love drawing butt faces. Um... Yeah, and so this is devil with a butt face. You can also, we should point out, see all of the devil's genitalia. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is an angel facing this devil's back. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, to be there, the face is sort of pointed down. So the face is kind of looking down at the angel's feet um, as the devil walks away from the angel. But, yeah, it's this sort of hilarious... <laughs> um, it's it's interesting. Of, like that the the angel has, you know, about as much personality in its face as a Ken doll. Like it's a very stiff um yes. figure, not a lot of anything defining it. And the devil is just like delightful, like interesting features, dynamic position, and then like Yes. He's got a butt face. Right there. Yep. Yeah. And- and the butt face is also really interesting and dynamic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a way that the angel is very generic. Yeah. We've all seen angel faces like this. I mean, it's a yeah. very generic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a few possibilities. I mean, one possibility is actually that it's done by two different people, but also it might be done by the same person, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas you get sort of this generic goodness, um, evil has personality. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, so we get this wonderful butt face. <laughs> And to be fair, um, I think there's a few websites dedicated to showing also marginalia 
right, and drawn images of butt faces. Um, yes. They're a really popular motif. In some cases, you have butt faces that don't even necessarily have the whole person. Mm-hmm. Right? Or sometimes you have a butt that's kind of doing things, so you feel like it must have a face. But it may not exactly have a face. But it also doesn't have the rest of the person. It's like the two legs and kind of the butt. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um... And again, it's another sort of fascinating reminder of how this uh, is potentially seen as humorous in the same ways, really, that we understand a lot of these things today, um, but also might be seen with a little less, a little less shame or a little more humor than we sometimes have today, right? Today, whenever you have those things, even in comedies, even in family-friendly comedies, right, when someone poops in the middle of the street by mistake or whatever, um there's still a sense of it being kind of naughty, mm -hmm. right? And there might be a sense of that. I mean, certainly like a devil is naughty. But if you look at some of the marginalia that we'll put up, where you have these kind of butts frequently playing trumpets, which we're going to get to. Because, <laughs> um, of course, farting is a whole thing on its own. So we'll get to that in a sec. But you have a lot of butts doing things, sometimes playing things like trumpet. Um there does seem to be a little bit more of the playfulness frequently. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes they do, you know, they're not always on devils. Um, all sorts of figures can have butt faces. Um, and as I said, sometimes it seems to be really just the butt. So you get all these sort of interesting <laughs> commentaries. Um, it should be pointed out that, of course, butts, in addition to playing the trumpet, um, sometimes they're pooping or sometimes they're, you know, shooting things out that might be more liquid. Um, sometimes they're getting poked in ways that are definitely very sexual. So there's a whole slew of, of things. Um, oh, in addition to trumpets, we should point out that there's some bagpipes as well. You know, anyway, so butts, butts do a lot of fun things. Um, in reference also to pooping, by the way, I should say, I know we mentioned in um, our, let's see, our first Christmas episode, which was probably how many years have we been doing this? Yes, podcast? I think episode twenty, episode twenty three, note nine. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Um, we mentioned the Kanye. Yeah, yeah, who is the pooper in the crash? Um, and he's only been around probably since like the seventeen hundreds or so, um, but is a continuation very much of something medieval, mm -hmm. right? So not that the Middle Ages necessarily had a pooper. In it crash, right? An activity scene. But certainly the pooping thing is is very medieval. To have someone pooping in random sort of religious places, mm -hmm. right? Like in the marginalia of a manuscript. So in some ways the transfer of him into the nativity scene is a very similar sensibility. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, alright. Let's talk about the trumpets. Okay. <laughs> um, oh wait, no. Before we get to trumpets, actually, I want to talk a little bit more about the, yes, the being poked in various ways. Um, there's a play that's late, late medieval, almost early modern. It's by Henry Medwall, who is about circa, this is very circa, because mm -hmm. we're not quite sure about his dates, but 1461 to probably 1501, that okay. seems to be when he disappears from the records, so probably he died around then. Um, he's English, he writes this play, Fulgens and Lucrece. Um, Fulgens is the dad, Lucrece is the daughter, and she wants to marry a guy who isn't official, like, isn't noble mm -hmm. in the very literal sense of, you know, 
an aristocrat. Right. Um, and her dad wants her to marry this other guy who is noble, and that the play ends with the idea that the guy who isn't technically noble is noble of spirit and therefore noble. Anyway. That type of um, thing. And it's, yeah, it's frequently seen, though, as a kind of interesting blow for class equality, even though it's not exactly, mm-hmm. you know, that's maybe pushing it a little far. But, yeah. yeah. Um, it was a time at which the merchant class was climbing its way up, um, Medwall included, for example. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so um, one of the better known reasons <laughs> that this play is sort of discussed and done and talked about and so on is that it features um, at the opening, there's a servant who comes on stage and there's someone else in the audience who starts talking to them who then comes on stage to also play around. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's part of it. But it is, um, there is a tradition also in the Middle Ages and then later of having characters potentially start in the audience and then show up on stage, right? So as though someone in the audience oh. has decided to take over what's happening or join in the fun on stage. That feels right. weirdly modern. I mean, It does feel very of, modern. Yeah. A lot of things in the Middle Ages are, I'm often struck by that, but like that is like a particularly modern theater thing, right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's a reminder of how theater, you know, some things have been around a very long time, mm-hmm. right? Um, so the servants, you know, there's the one on stage and then the one who joins them. Um, and they're just known as A and B, servants A and B. And they have obviously the comic subplot, mm-hmm. but they're, I mean, I think a lot of people would argue they maybe a bit overshadowed the main plot, to put it mildly. Um, and they are both after, so they parallel the, the main plot where the two guys are after Lucrece. So A and B are after the maid. Okay. Lucrece's maid, right? So they're, they're after the maid. And they have this joust. And they specifically say, <laughs> B suggests it. Um, he says, we shall need no horse nor mule, but let us joust at fart prick in cool. Okay, so the famous line is that they're going to joust at Fart Prick in Cool. Um, Peter Meredith and Meg Toycross have an article about this. They wrote a long time ago in um, Middle English Theater, Volume 6. And (laughs) so what this, we might upload some images from this too, because, oh my gosh, they do a really good job, arguably, of trying to figure out exactly what is described. Because what seems to happen is the two guys um, kind of put a pole, so they bend their elbows mm-hmm. and put them between their knees. Either between their knees or outside their knees. And then a pole gets put through all of it, so you can't pull your arms up okay. past your knees, right? And you get your arms tied together. Mm-hmm. And your legs tied so that you are stuck in this position with the pole holding you in place. Okay. This and then you also... Yeah. No, it sounds like the way that somebody would be put in, like, um, like to torture them, honestly. Kind of. Well, um, that you can hop up and down is the key. Okay. Which is why it might be your arms are on the outside, so you can hop up and down... But maybe they're on the... No, I think they're on the inside, is what they decided finally was the best way. Because you also get a broom put through... Um, so, exactly, um, right, if the 
pole is horizontal, then the broom is vertical. Okay. So 90 degree angle with the other pole. All right. Get put through. So your arms are holding that. And you're kind of riding the broom like you're a witch riding the broom. Or like okay. you're riding a hobby horse. Yes. Which would be the sort of jousting part. And then so the part of it sticks out the back and part of it sticks out the front. Okay. And so you're jousting by hopping around and sort of whacking the front part at each other. And maybe occasionally the back part. Yeah. Okay. And it's unclear. So the prick, we all know what a prick is. This word was used for the phallus. Cool is is ass. Mm-hmm. And is, is a word like ass today. It's a bit of a swear word. <laughs> sure. So, um, so, you know, prick and cool in cool seems to be... Um, Probably a reference to the fact that sometimes you're swatting the other one from behind. The fart is a little bit more of a question, although it may refer to, I think this is Meg Twycross's suggestion, and this seems to be quite probable, that like when you're hopping up and down, you may not tie it up this way. You may not actually be farting, but that they're probably simulating it or someone is simulating it mm-hmm. with sound effects when they hop up and down. Sure. So, um... This sounds yeah. like high comedy. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, <clears throat> this is their joust. And at the end of this, the maid informs them that she's actually already engaged to marry somebody else. <laughs> and then she beats them both on the butt. Okay. And when she's done beating them, she leaves. And then they actually have to stay there tied up until the next guy comes in and unties them. That is the best possible resolution to that story i'm yes. i think so <laughs> yes no 100 percent. right so it's got all the things it's definitely a satire and it's even this is the funny thing it's even a kind of satire on the main story right which is this kind of love story and the woman you know getting the guy who's the better guy even though he's not officially noble but it satirizes the whole idea of two guys fighting for a woman mm-hmm. right which of course we have talked about previously is the whole point of medieval romance. It's where we get the whole modern concept of romance. Because that's what the Middle Ages said in their yes. genre known as the romance. We, <laughs> right? Yeah. Constantly throwing back to this idea of the longing and the little scarves that they, you know, ladies, yep. tokens, and yes, all of that nonsense. Yeah. And even down to the idea, right, that in every rom-com, right, there are going to be two guys fighting over the girl. Mm-hmm. Right. And the one we want to get her, and then the one who's wrong for her, you know. So this satirizes that whole idea, which is brilliant, particularly since the main plot is still that. Right? And um, there's something really interesting about that, because it also gives us a little bit more of a sense that when some of these things show up, right, like butts in cathedrals, that it might, or the monkey window, right? The monkey version of this story of the barrel of the virgin, that maybe it's also a little bit of a reminder that as important as something like the sacred is, you can't take everything that seriously, mm-hmm. right? There is always this other side. That's part of life. There's the pooping side, <laughs> just like there's, you know, there's devils and angels, right? Yeah. Um, so this sense, these two plots, right, in this silly joust that's ridiculous and has this great line in the middle, um, it gives us a bit of that sensibility, right? Um, 
So now, yeah, we will go to the idea of um, the butt butt trumpets. <laughs> um, you do get a lot of marginalia with butts being pricked, for sure. But you also have a lot where they are trumpeting. Mm-hmm. Um, or I guess in the case of bagpipes, piping. Um, and so this is where we give a shout out to Dante. Canto 21, when uh, they're in Circle 8, Bulge of 5, which is the grafters. And the grafters are sunk in boiling pitch and being grappled at by demons with grappling hooks and stuff. Mm. Um, because, you know, grafting, you know, they have sticky fingers, basically. Sure. So they're in this pitch. Yeah, so they're in boiling pitch. And John Charty, whose translation I love, um, compares, says, points out, right, he's not the first to do this, but he says, um, if you think of the commedia as a whole, right, so Dante's um, Divine Comedy as a whole, as a cathedral, then this is the section with the gargoyles and the grotesques. Aha. Right, this is where the demons, <laughs> this is where we really get, he's like, this is our coarsest section. Mm-hmm. By which he means most vulgar. Um, and so Malakota, who's our lead devil, who's in charge of all the other devils, agrees to give Dante and Virgil safe conduct. Um, they need to find a new way because a path has collapsed, right? The harrowing of hell, Jesus came yeah. in, freedom. Yeah, there's a huge earthquake. So the route that Virgil took when he first went down, of which, of course, is when he wrote the Aeneid, mm-hmm. <laughs> is no longer viable in a lot of places. So they need to find a new path. So... Um, the devils agree to show them a way. Um, and this is this is Charlie's translation, and then I'll give a little bit of the Italian. But um, So as they're leading um, Dante and Virgil to the new path, they turn around to Malakota just to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do, basically. You know, they're good, they're good worker devils. Um, all right, they turned along the left bank in a line, but before they started, all of them together had stuck their pointed tongues out as a sign to their captain that they wished permission to pass, and he had made a trumpet of his ass. Mm. Yes, so they stick their tongues out as a question like, do they have permission to go? And he farts at them to let them know that they do. Okay. Um, and this, of course, as I said, references marginalia and stuff where there's real trumpets, mm-hmm. right? Where we see butts actually playing trumpets, right? Um, and the word here is, in fact, so he had made um, del cool, so that's C-U-L. So you'll notice the, the word is actually the same. Yes. Because, you know, romance languages. This is one of the things that English inherited from <laughs> romance languages. And we didn't inherit it all the way to today, to be fair. Because mm-hmm. now we say ass. But, um, but you know, back when cool meant ass. Yeah, so here it is. Um, so of his ass, so del cool, um, fato trombeta. Right. Um, a trumpet. Um, and when Charity's translation came out, I think this is one of the passages that people were sort of surprised at. Um it's possible even, I didn't look up, but it's possible that some people actually wrote sort of things about, you know, why had he translated this with the word ass, right? This uh-huh. is a sacred poem. Um, and Italian scholars were like, no, no, that is exactly what Dante said. <laughs> he definitely uses vulgarity here, right? Um, previously, it had always been translated in a far more, oh, I guess, PG manner. Mm-hmm. But that is not what Dante wrote, right? Um and so it's a sort of fabulous reminder <laughs> of the extent to which um, 
you know, yes, I mean, first of all, this is not a sacred poem at all. Of course, it's a secular poem. It's just about, uh, by modern standards, obviously, not medieval standards. Right. By modern standards, it's a secular poem about sacred events, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But it is not itself a religious text in that sense, right? Um, And the thing is, of course, when you're talking about hell, you're vulgar. Mm -hmm. Like, that is the place for obscenity. Which brings us back to one of the arguments about how the Middle Ages may have defined things differently from us. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't, that maybe it wasn't always that they defined things differently from us, but more that they saw things as correct in certain times and places. Mm-hmm. Right? So for hell, hell should be vulgar and obscene. And not everyone necessarily wants to read that. That's fine. But you can't not make hell vulgar and obscene because that would be equally wrong. Sure. Right? I can see that. Um, which is a really good point. <laughs> Heaven is sacred and gorgeous. Hell is profane, right? So, and you have to make it that. Because if you don't, then you are doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. So vulgarity is has its place in that context. Um, so this brings us to... <laughs> Um, there's, okay, so we've mentioned the Roman de la Rose before, I know. Um, Guillaume de Loris wrote the first part of it, presumably circa 1230 or so. Um, the famous part is Jean de Mons' section from around 1275. That's the part we're going to talk about. Okay. So the Roman de la Rose, um, it's a romance, of course. Um, it's about a girl named Rose... But a rose is also the um, metaphor for, you know, feminine sexuality and stuff. Um, but she's also the woman being wooed. Okay. And then there are various metaphorical people, allegorical people, sorry, allegorical people like reason. Yes. Um, and I do want to give a shout out to another um, essay, actually, in Medieval Obscenities, this time by Alistair Minnis. <laughs> Um, and, um, he called, uh, his essay is from, from Coil to Bell Shows, Discourses of Obscenity in Jean de Moon and Chaucer. Um, all right, so, <laughs> uh, Jean de Moon writes his section of this. Uh, it becomes very famous and also gets a lot of pushback. Uh, Christine de Pizan writes a whole sort of thing against it. Some people called her prudish, but that wasn't really her point. Her point was more that it's misogynistic, which it certainly is. Um, we're ignoring that for the moment, because we're just going to talk about some of the terminology okay. that he uses. So Lady Reason is talking to the lover. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and she mentions balls and uses a term for it that is very clearly the French term of the time for balls. So it's okay. C-O-I-L-L-E-S. Okay. Um, and the lover afterwards is like, wait a minute, you know, a girl like you shouldn't be saying that stuff. (laughs) Um, and she actually says it's a great name, right? Um, and so is Veet, which is the vulgar, like, like a rooster. Okay. But not talking about a rooster. Ah. (laughs) The vulgar word. Yes. Um, 
And so, yes, a, a vulgar, vulgar word for callous, starting for phallus, sorry, starting with C. Um, and so her point here um, goes to the sort of concept of language, actually. Um, and she uses a number of words. These are her favorite words. Um, so variations um, on balls and feet. And um, she says, you should name things what they are. And this is what they are. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and she said, you know, lots of women use metaphors, which is silly because mm-hmm. you should just name things as they are now. And uh, some people did defend Jean de Moon in this way. Exactly. They're like, well, you should just call things what they are. He, that's what he did. Um, and, you know, but most of them did not actually use these words in saying that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but um, some of the metaphors that reason points out people use, right? She says women call them all. We're talking really about mostly about balls here, but also about phalluses. Um, women who name them call them all sorts of things. Purses, harness, things, torches, pricks, as though they were thorns. But when they feel them very near, they do not find them painful. <laughs> Um, and so that's, you know, it's all the French words. So Bourse, Harnay, Rien. Um, yeah. So this sense of, right, all, a lot of these we still use, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, or even if you don't use it, I mean, we can recognize certainly what is being referred to. Mm-hmm. Right. Harness is maybe the, the one that's a little bit, maybe that's yeah. pretty medieval. I don't know enough about my modern French slang, though, to be fair. <laughs> Um, I'd need a little while searching Twitter to get a better handle yes. on that. Yes. Um, but yes, yeah, so C-O-I-L-L-E-S um, with variations for grammar. C-O-I-L-L-O-N. Right. Um, but anyway, and yeah, V-I-T, V-I-T or V-I-T-Z. Okay. Or sometimes V-I-Z. Right, because there are more versions of the words in Old French. Hmm. Yes. Spelling is standardization. Yeah. Not always a thing. Well, also, like, you know, nominative mm-hmm. and things, right? There's more uh, conjugating. Um, it should be... Oh, You have a train. Person. Yeah. <laughs> should I wait? Now nah, we've been talking for a few minutes while it was going already. That's right. Okay. Um, it should be pointed out. So that's, like, 1275. Um, Chaucer certainly knows... Not personally, of course, but... Um, knows the work of Jean de Moon. Um, and the wife of Bath, Chaucer's wife of Bath, um, does refer to balls as the nether purse. Um, so when she's saying um, around line 44, she says, right, I'm going to just modern English this. Sorry. Okay. Um, blessed be God that I've wedded five. Right. So she's been married five times. Right. <laughs> um, so blessed be God that I've wedded five of which I have picked out the best both of their nether purse and of their chest. Chest meaning, in this case, um, money. Mm-hmm. Right? Their, their money. Their lockbox. Mm-hmm. Basically. So both of their... Right? So both their nether purse and their... Right? So the two types of money that she cares about. Right? What's in their nether purse and what's in their actual purse. <laughs> right? Um, so that's a euphemism, apparently, that... Chaucer liked. I don't know if he got it from Jean de Moon necessarily, but certainly it was around. Uh, the wife of Beth uses it. Mm-hmm. There we go. Um, 
So this is where we're getting into the literary question, right? So when, when you're using these words, would they have been considered obscene or disgusting or what? Mm-hmm. How do we... And the, the ultimate question is we don't quite know. But I'm going to run through a few more for the wife of Bath. Um, so she also famously... Um, so her Bella shows, which of course is French, her beautiful thing, mm-hmm. right? That is another term she uses for her vagina. <laughs> she wouldn't call it vagina. She'd probably use a P word today, um, meaning cat, right? Mm-hmm. And so she she has a few of these, right? Um, she wants she's plans to get married again, right? <laughs> she has a line. She's like, "Welcome the sixth, whatever you may." Um, <laughs> So she's, she's looking at her again, and she says, I will bestow the flower of all mine age, right, in the acts and fruit of marriage. Um, tell me also, to what conclusion were members made of generation? So members, there we go, mm-hmm. word for genitalia we still use. Um, and it should be pointed out, the first, her prologue is really dedicated partly to defending sex, mm-hmm. to defending talking about sex and genitalia, and to defending having sex without having kids, basically which she has not had any. Mm-hmm. Although she's about to say that you're supposed to have sex a lot so that you have kids. So it's, you know, she has some fun arguments here. Anyway. Um, so, right. Why, what, so to what conclusion were members made of generation? She's saying, so why were they made? Right. Um, and of so perfect wise, um, a right ye rot. So um, basically God made them really well. Right. The workmen made them really well, perfectly. Why did he make them? Mm-hmm. And she says, trust right well, they were not made for naught. Right. Gloss whoso will and say both up and down. So gloss, you gloss the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. She's glossing the idea of sex. There's also possibly some innuendo there, um, you know for glossing. Um, is she talking about doing things with her tongue? Who knows? Anyway. Um, so, she says they're marked for purgation of urine. <laughs> um, and both are things small. So there she uses the word things, which is another one Jean de Mon brought up, right? So are small things, right? Um, were to know a female from a male. Okay, she's like, you know, um, and for no other cause. Say you so? Do you say that that's the only reason we have them? Right, the experience um, knows right well it is not so. Okay, um, so this is <laughs> said. Why should men else in their books set that man shall yield to his wife her debt? So religious men have written in books that husbands owe wives a marriage debt, which is to say sex. Mm. <laughs> right. The, f- the interesting thing here, of course, is that this was frequently seen as it could be a way to legitimize assault, you know, within a marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but the wife of Bath has reversed this as we, as becomes fairly clear throughout her prologue. Um, she expects payment of this debt when she wants it. And not always when her husband is like <laughs> able to give it. <laughs> um, and she says, now wherewith should he make his payment if he doesn't use his silly instrument? Mm. All right. So silly instrument. <laughs> we should bring um, that one back. back. I like that one. Yes. 
I gotta say, medievalists use that a lot, actually. <laughs> medievalists use a lot of these a lot, but that's oh, definitely good. one that shows up. Yes. <laughs> um, they will know for sure that you are, yeah, what you're saying. Um, and it's honestly very obvious in context of conversation, usually. It's not like it needs a lot of explaining. Um, but yeah, all right. And then she later says, right, that she's going to use, she says, I will use mine instrument as freely as my maker hath it sent. All right. So there you go. Um, so this is her <laughs> sense, right? Um, and so she's got a lot of things, right? Instrument thing member for her personally, right? For women, Bella shows. Um, and she's got another one that she uses, which is the word coint. Um, so she's married a few really old husbands mm -hmm. who were also jealous that she was sleeping around with other men, which she totally was. Um, and so one of them, she's yelling at him for being jealous. And she says, for certain old dotard, by your leave, you shall have coint right enough at Eve. He is a miser that would um, refuse a man to light a candle at his lantern. <laughs> he shall never have the less light, party. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Isn't oh, that brilliant? my goodness. Yep. Okay. She's like, you're not getting any less just because other men are also getting some. Sure. Right? Yeah. So what's the problem? Totally good. Um, all right. So coint, pretty clearly here, is a version of the C word, mm -hmm. which Hamlet also uses at one point, right? He's talking to Ophelia. Mm -hmm. Did you think I meant country matters? Um, there's a big debate over how obscene this version of the C word was meant to be. Yeah. And over how obscene the c word was at the time to begin with mm -hmm. it's a little unclear actually <laughs> it's a little unclear and obviously the c word is still absolutely used in england in ways very different from its use in the u.s and in australia as like a greeting yes <laughs> sorry yes exactly no, um that's a joke sorry australia <laughs> oh poor australia but um, no i mean but it is this it is it is very different in, you know, again, the Puritans came here right. instead. Right. right. Yeah. So, um, but clearly it is a version of that word. Mm -hmm. This is another term she uses um, for her own genitalia. And um, she actually uses it twice. It depends a little bit on your, your manuscript version, to be fair. Um, but later, right, um, she is still yelling at her husband, right? And she says, what aileth you to grouch and groan? Is it for you would have my coint alone? Well, take it all, lo, have it every deal. Peter, that's St. Peter, right? She's swearing. <laughs> Mildly. Um, Peter, I assure you, but you love it well. For if I would sell my Bella shows, I could walk as fresh as is a rose. But I will keep it for your own tooth. You be to blame by God, I say you sooth. Hmm. So here she's saying, right, is it, would you want my coint all to yourself again, right? And she's saying, you know, by St. Peter... You know, you love it well. Um, if I I could sell it, right? We all know what that means. Mm -hmm. I mean, she could, right? Um, and she's like, if she was willing to do that, she'd make a ton of money and she'd have great clothing. <laughs> but, you know, out of her devotion to him, she won't sell it. She'll still sleep around, but she won't sell it. Um, <clears throat> this is when she's sort of tricking her husband into doing what she wants. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so there's another variation on this. So, Okay. So there's some questions, again, like, how obscene is it? What is she doing? But we have all these great words for it. In literature, again, of course, Chaucer is, you know, this is high literature. Mm -hmm. But 
Much like Dante's Inferno, every tale is different. It depends entirely on the person telling it what type of language Chaucer uses. Mm-hmm. Right? So we have here kind of like, I don't know, whatever sex person you write to <laughs> or listen to or who's, you know, um, byline you read, um, sex advice columnist. This is essentially who the wife of Bath is in many ways, mm-hmm. right? She's lived it. She wants to talk about it. Um, yeah, like Dr. Ruth, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so her language is very much of that. And I think <clears throat> one of the interesting things here is probably it's not exactly supposed to be seen as obscene, right? But it's certainly supposed to be seen as a little bit vulgar, right? Body. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah body. Right? But fun. Mm-hmm. We like her. We like her. We want, you know, to talk to her. <laughs> we want yes. her to give us advice. Yeah. I want to say that almost everybody has probably met her somewhere. Yes. And you maybe walked away being like, wow, she's a lot. But yep. also that yes. you were really entertained <laughs> by meeting her. Yes. Right? Of course. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's the point. Of course, that's the point. Right. So that is very different from, we'll finish up with the Miller's Tale. Mm-hmm. All right. So Chaucer's Miller's Tale. We've talked about other variations of satires. This is once again a satire on the romance. Um, the knight, Chaucer's knight, has just told a romance full on. And the Miller then interrupts because he's drunk and demands to tell his tale next and does. And his is a satire. And the satire, so in this case, we've got a gorgeous woman named Allison who's married to this silly carpenter. (laughs) Poor guy. Not really, though, because he's super jealous and he tries to keep her locked up. And so it's his own fault. This is the Miller's sort of summary at the end that it's his own fault. What happened to him? Mm -hmm. Don't be jealous. Um, As long as you're the Miller says at one point, he's like, as long as your wife is like there when you want her, don't worry about what she's doing the rest of the time. Right, so he's kind of on the wife of Bath's radar here, you know. Yeah, <laughs> the same end of the yeah. Um, all right, so this tale, um, Allison is looking to sleep around with the clerk who's staying in their house, Nicholas. Um, and meanwhile, Absalon, who's a clerk who does not live in their house, um, wants to sleep with her as well. Mm-hmm. And so we get a satire about again this idea of two men fighting over a woman. Um, the whole, the whole idea of, um, love's first kiss is satirized here. There's a lot of satire. Okay, so we're gonna get into it. First up, Absalom comes to, like, sing under her window, <laughs> and she's sleeping with Nicholas. So, you know, anyway, uh, she's not interested, but then she decides she's gonna play a trick on Absalom. So, um, she undoes the window, right, and opens it. Um, and tells him that if he hurries and, you know, comes up, that she'll give him a kiss. All right. So, um, Absalom, like, wipes his mouth. Okay. Dark was the night as pitch or as the coal. And at the window, out she put her hole. And Absalom, him felt no better nor worse. But with his mouth, he kissed her naked erse. <laughs> Full savorly, ere he were aware of this. A back he start, and thought it was amiss, for well he wist a woman hath no beard. 
He felt the thing all rough and long and hard and said, Fie, alas, what have I do? Tehei. Tehei, but the middle English is Tehei. Mm-hmm. It's more fun to say it that way. Anyway, Tehei, quoth she, and clapped the window too. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So I think we got what happened there, right? Yeah. She sticks her butt out the window and he kisses her butt and feels, you know, hair. I mean, he kisses her on the hole. Okay. And, um, yeah, he's upset. All right. So we have here a, obviously, we have a lot of fun things. So her hole, I mean, we all know what that is. It hasn't changed at all. It's her mm-hmm. butthole. Um, arse. <laughs> we have arse here as a term. That one's definitely still around. We have the whole, like, love her looking for a kiss. Did not get what he expected comedy. Um... But very purposeful, not like a mistake. I mean, this one's on purpose. She did this on purpose, right? Um, we So again, right, this is the drunken Miller telling his tale. This one is a little more obscene, probably. And rightfully sort of so. I mean, mm-hmm. it's... But that's also... This is his thing. I mean, right? And he's making fun of the whole idea of romance. Right? Um, okay, so Absalon comes back for revenge. And he promises her... He comes back to the window later. Um, and... Yells that, you know, he has a ring, and if she'll come give him a real kiss, he'll give her this ring. Okay. Um, and Nicholas has decided to get up to pee, but that's not actually what Chaucer says. <laughs> okay. This Nicholas was risen for to piss. <laughs> right. So, you know, they've been sleeping together all night, and Nicholas is ready to go. Okay, so. Um, so Nicholas was risen for to piss and thought he would amend all the jape, so he's going to make the joke even better. He, Absalon, should kiss his arse, or that he scape. <laughs> right? And up the window did he hastily, so now Nicholas opens the window and puts his, and out his arse he putteth privately. Okay, so he puts his butt out the window. Right, over the buttock um, to the haunch bone. So he's really got his butt all the way out the window. Yeah. Right? Um, and Absalon says, speak, sweet bird, I knew not where thou art. This Nicholas a noon let fly a fart, as great as it had been a thunder dent. Oh my god. And with the stroke, he was almost blinded. Alright, so Epsilon is almost blinded by this fart. But ready he was with his iron hot, and Nicholas amid the arse he smoot. So he's got this hot iron poker that he was going to poke the butt of his love with. Because now he's mad at her. Mm-hmm. But instead, of course, it's Nicholas. So he gets Nicholas on the butt. <laughs> um, so the whole, the hot um, culture, it's a plow blade, essentially. Um, burned so his toot. Um, and for the smart, he went afore to die. Okay. Um, and as he were crazy, he began to cry, help, water, help, for God's sake. Um, and the carpenter hears this and thinks there's a flood coming because they've tricked him. And he cuts the rope that's holding him onto the roof and falls off the roof and, like, breaks his arm. <laughs> anyway, so at the end of this, there's a great sum up at the end from the Miller about how, you know, basically all the guys got what was coming to them and Allison's just fine. Anyway. Um, but all right. So here we have, in the Miller's tale, we have revisited all of the things kind of we've talked about. So butts out the window. In this case, female butts and male butts, because we hadn't got female butts yet. Yeah. Right? Um, or at least not that you could tell. Some of you would definitely weren't, and some, you know, you can't necessarily tell. Um, but this time, definitely female butts and male butts out the window. Um, and buttholes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, kissing the butthole, so that is where the obscenity comes. Farting, 
right? Like a thunderbolt. <laughs> um, almost blinded poor Absalon. Not poor Absalon. I mean, he gets what's coming to him, but yeah. still, almost blinded him. Um, and again, right, this obviously is a satire, right? It is a satire. That is the point. It's also, it's of course, it's a fablio, right? That's sort of the style. Um, and fablio are famously body, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but again, right, Chaucer certainly expects people at court to read this and laugh, right? So you, uh, the coarse sort of coarseness, I mean, I say this, it's brilliantly written, but mm-hmm. <laughs> quote-unquote coarseness of the language and the vulgarity um, is there really because of the nature of the story, right? You can't tell a satiric fablio with proper language. Mm-hmm. Or you have to use the proper language, which therefore is vulgar, right? Um, yeah. So it's also, it's a little bit of a reminder when you find all these weird things and all the fun pictures that we'll put up and all the stuff we talked about last time, right? That it's not even just that the Middle Ages had different sensibilities, but also in some ways that they were, um, whereas we have kind of like closed off any mention of certain things mm-hmm. anywhere. The Middle Ages stuff like there are times and places when certain things are appropriate. There are times when they're not appropriate, but there are definitely times when they are appropriate. And then you talk about them. And you use the language that is appropriate. Sure, it might be vulgar. Or, you know, (laughs) dirty. Mm -hmm. But if the time is right, you use it. Right? The place is right, you use it. Um, Now, Christine Tabazan definitely would point out that that doesn't mean, like, quote-unquote, locker room talk is okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? There's a difference between using the appropriate vulgar language at the appropriate moment and just misogyny. But that's kind of a discussion for a different time. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> but yay! All right. So that's that's sort of our rundown of... <laughs> yes. Um, the I mean, there's so much more to say, of course, about Medieval Sunday. We'll probably come back to it. Mm-hmm. But a general rundown just of, like, sort of what's out there and when you come across it, ways in which you might think about it. Mm-hmm. Instead of just being like, what? Yeah. yeah. That it's, it's more than that. It's not necessarily there to shock you. It's, it's got a variety of reasons for being there, probably. So don't judge. <laughs> just enjoy. <laughs> just enjoy the butts if you find them. Yes. Yep. Well, um, I hope that like, uh, like Jurassic Park inspired <laughs> a lot of kids to go into paleontology that this foray into the obscenity of the middle ages will inspire more people to look into medieval studies because um this is definitely like the stuff that gets left out of your history class right it is unless jesse is teaching it (laughs) so sad um yeah and there's no way i can possibly follow that up so uh, thank you for talking to me. Thank you all for listening. Uh, check us out. Just Google Ask a Medievalist uh, and choose something. I don't care. They, we're probably most of the top links. If we're not, write to somebody and tell them to stop calling themselves by our name. Um, askamedievalist.com and uh, keep your butt clean and, you know, keep it medieval. Ask a Medievalist is a production of This Can't Be That Hard Studios and is not endorsed, acknowledged, or condoned by Virginia Commonwealth University or any of its constituent departments.
Our theme music is Veni Veni Venias from Carmina Burana by Carl Orff, performed by the MIT Concert Choir and licensed under a Creative Commons Attributional Non-Commercial License version 3.0. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, why not tell a friend? For more on today's topic, including sources, annotations, and corrections, visit our website at www.askamedievalist.com. And if you have questions, feel free to drop us an email at questions at askamedievalist.com. 